the key is to seek out and find role models and mentors, just folks who are willing to invest time and energy into helping teach you and also looking out for you. This November, Chicago Harris is launching a brand new executive education course. It's called Women in Public Leadership. In this one-of-a-kind program, women will gain not only crucial skills, but also the confidence to achieve top leadership roles. It's tailored to women in government, politics, philanthropy, advocacy, really any women seeking the influence they need to make the world a better place. Participants will have a rare opportunity for inspiring, intimate conversations with world-class scholars and women leaders, such as today's guest. Lisa Elman is a partner and co-chair of the Unmanned Aircraft Systems Group at Hogan Lovells. She's a Chicago Harris alumna and a former member of President Obama's White House staff. She now advises clients on business policy and regulatory issues, including the use of new technologies such as drones. Lisa, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Lisa is just one of dozens of featured speakers in our Women in Public Leadership program. We invited her on today to speak about her own experiences shattering glass ceilings and also to hear her thoughts on what this program stands to offer trailblazing women of tomorrow. My family likes to joke that I've really always been a policymaker, that I was born a policymaker, grew up a policymaker. Um, I'm the older sister of two younger brothers. But of course, when we were younger, we liked to drive our household to anarchy. Um, <laughs> they, would, <laughs> they would say the same about me as well, but uh, we like to fight a lot. And so at the age of eight, I actually designed a Magna Carta for my my family's household. Um, I put together a document that listed, you know, it was 20 cent fine for wild behavior, um, <laughs> for calling each other names, bad words, that kind of thing. And it's funny, my, my parents were cleaning out their house and just recently came across this document, so, <laughs> which we've renamed my Magna Carta. Um, nice. So at a very early age, I obviously was kind of interested to devise rules of the road for folks to follow um, in order to bring about a more peaceful household in that case. But my interest in policy, I guess, developed and improved a lot over time. Um, when I was in high school, my father ran for school board, and he, he tapped me to be his campaign manager. And that was a really exciting moment for me. And I just remember going door to door and being really interested in how these you know, local school issues were affecting folks and being really interested in, you know, this was a local school board race, being really interested in how that affected the community and what my dad would be doing if he won, that kind of thing. And so I was really just got interested in government and how it worked. And so when I, uh, during my undergraduate years, I went and studied abroad in England. And at that time, I was able to get an appointment to work at Parliament, where I got to know their House of Commons and worked with a member of the House of Lords, which was really interesting. And when I came back, I, I you know, I worked for Senator Carl Levin, for my home state senator, mm -hmm. after graduating from college. And that was when I went to law school. And I was really interested in how the law worked. But when I was in law school, I would get really frustrated because we were reading all these cases about laws that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And I was wondering how I could, how we could change those laws. Why are we interpreting bad laws? Why can't we just change them to make them better? And so mm -hmm. that is when I decided to enroll in the policy school. And so mm. I um, enrolled in Harrison. I did a joint degree in law and policy. And um, it's been a great it's been a great overall education. I've used both degrees a lot, um, but really especially my policy degree. Mm -hmm. And tell me about that. What, what are the things that you took away from 
policy school that you mm-hmm. find yourself using day to day? Yeah, well, I thought that the quantitative analysis and the, quant- the statistics and economics were incredibly important to me. I was a history major undergrad, uh-huh. and so it was, oh, those were great classes for me to take to understand all of the statistics, economics, kind of how our economy works. That Those mm-hmm. were great classes to take. But my strategy when I was in policy school was I figured I didn't know what the future held. I knew I was interested in politics and government, but I didn't know exactly what my career was going to look like. But I knew that I wanted a broad-based education, and so I went ahead and enrolled in, like, Basically, buckets of you know healthcare law and policy, education law and policy, kind of international affairs, foreign policy, campaigns and elections, and took up all of those different types of classes, which gave me a very broad-based, strong foundation from which my whole career has really drawn upon. So you know I've since then held positions at the White House, at the Department of Justice, of course, developing policy in the first instance on the first Obama campaign back in 2007, 2008. And now in the private sector, I've since left the administration, and now I am working on developing drones policy in the private sector and working with companies in this brand new emerging technology market where the technology has moved so much more quickly than the policymaking. And the rules of the road have really yet to be written in this new industry. And so it's been a fascinating time and we're at a really critical time for policymaking and I'm continued to use all of the skills that I that I got at the Harris School in order to inform the work that's happening now in the in the drones world. Mm-hmm. And so riding your eight-year-old Magna Carta and then <laughs> you know it seems like you hear from so many people that that idealism and that fire can kind of get extinguished, you know, when you mm-hmm. actually get into it and it's frustrating and all of that. Um, what's kept you going? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a wonderful opportunity. It's also a huge responsibility. And yeah. like you said, a lot of it can be, especially working in the federal government, the bureaucracy can get frustrating. It's reactive and bureaucratic and slow and you have a great idea and you have to run it by, you know, 20 other people before it even the idea gets heard. Um, and so, you know, it, it does get frustrating. And, and through all of that, you know, you just kind of keep reminding yourself of the great responsibility, the great opportunity, and keep in mind the bigger picture of what you're trying to accomplish. And take things one day at a time, one step at a time. I mean, I remember during the first Obama campaign in 2007, 2008, I was on the pri- working on the primary team. And I was a senior policy associate, so I was working on policy development with regard to a number of different issues. Mm-hmm. But then I was also, we were all traveling from state to state because everyone was kind of going around to all of the primary states where the help was needed. And for a nine-month period, I think I slept in my apartment maybe four nights. And I just had a suitcase with me, and I was traveling all over the country. And there's some incredible experiences that come along with that, but you're also sacrificing a whole lot in, in the meantime. And so, I mean, I remember during that time, my family, you know, my brother called me a bad sister. He said I was never around. I wasn't able to pay attention really to my family or friends. You you were giving up and sacrificing a lot. And um, during those periods, it was really important for me to just keep reflecting on what the goal was. In this case, it was, you know, making Barack Obama our next president and and everything that that stood for and knowing what a great president he would be. Um, but being willing to sacrifice a lot personally in order to really achieve what we were set out to accomplish.
So the world of politics and government in so many of the worlds that I think that I have inhabited or am inhabiting. Technology is another example of a world where where men clearly outnumber women. Yeah. Technology and innovation. And I'm working in the world of domestic drones policy now. Um, it is a world generally dominated by men because it comes from, you know, the consumer toy side, aviation, technology. And then, of course, from the on the policymaking side, that is also kind of federal government tends to be more male dominated. Um, mm. For me, it was always just important to seek out women role models that I looked up to that were brilliant, but also able to navigate the bureaucracy in a way that was effective, because you can be really smart, but you also, there's a certain kind of political sense that you also have to have that these women really had and really taught taught me. I think a lot of it is you just have to keep going and take the opportunities that you're presented. And, you know, the federal government, the world of technology will all be better off if we have diversity at the top in every way. There is a lot of research that has shown that businesses prosper when there are men and women and all kinds of diversity in leadership roles. And so I think for, you know, whether it's in policymaking roles, whether it's in the world of business, in the private sector, um, you know, I think we're all better off where we're hearing a diversity of opinions and experiences and backgrounds. But, you know, it can be it, it, it can be challenging. But the key is for me, at least the key has always just been to seek out and find role models and mentors, whether men or women, but just folks who are willing to invest time and energy into helping develop your career in a way that you have, you know, really smart, great folks, both helping teach you and also looking out for you. And who are some of these women that when you found yourself facing these sorts of situations, you mm-hmm. thought, uh, what would person X do? Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I was talking earlier about, about some of the challenges of traveling from state to state on the Obama presidential campaign um, mm-hmm. and how that meant a big, a very strong personal sacrifice. But one of the benefits, one of the many benefits of that work was being able to travel the country with some amazing people. And so, for example, Samantha Power, currently our yeah. ambassador to the UN, she stayed with me for a week in New Hampshire uh, and we traveled together, spent a lot of time together, and she's just an amazing, incredible human being. And, you know, she's brilliant. She's incredibly well-spoken. She's incredibly adept at getting things done in the arena of politics and government. And then it, you know, fast forward another few years, she was working on international open government issues, and there was a need for someone to focus on domestic open government issues. And so she and Cass Sunstein, her husband, and my former law professor at Chicago, uh, called me back to the White House to work with them on open government and to be the chief counsel for the Open Government Partnership, representing the United States internationally on domestic open government policy. So we had a chance to work closely together in that role. And that was a wonderful opportunity for me to really learn from the best. Um, Susan Rice is someone else that I would mention. She's, we spent a lot of time together in South Carolina on the, on the primary campaign, and we're traveling all over together. And, uh, you know, of course, she's now running the national security staff for the president. She's incredibly brilliant and also a really, you know, great woman role model for me. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is just sort of learning from kind of being around them, seeing how they interact with people and challenges. Yes. 
Exactly. Yeah. And see how they handle various situations and working with them in an environment where we're all kind of dealing with similar, you know, we're, we're in the same environment and seeing how they how they handle themselves and how they deal with situations or personalities um, and being able to, to really learn from them, um, I thought was really valuable. What, what do you think you would get out of this kind of program if you were a woman trying to sort of break through a glass ceiling that you were having trouble getting to that next stage? Um, what do you think that a program like this can offer somebody in those shoes? Well, I think a program like this can really bring together lots of like-minded individuals. So both folks that are your peers that are experiencing similar things in different industries or in different settings. And so on the first order is you really bond with those people and learn from them and what they're going through. and craft solutions together, think about all of the issues that you're dealing with and how they compare with each other's and learning from your peers and how they're handling similar situations. You know, and then kind of second, I would say it's also a great opportunity to learn from folks who um, who have done worked in the types of industries that you're look, looking to work, worked in government, had experiences that you're looking to have just to simply figure out what it, what was it that got them there and how does my experience translate in that capacity. Um, you know, for me, like I said, it was so important to have strong role models and relationships are really, really important. I mean, you know, I've had a, I had a great experience working for President Obama. He was also my law professor. You know, he was someone that early on I was able to form a relationship with at University of Chicago, and that's really helped carry me through with lots of great experiences. But you just never know who you're going to meet that's going to really change your life the next day. And uh, and I think these kind of programs can help bring folks together and both share experiences and then also provide some, you know, kind of lessons learned from folks who've been through similar experiences that we're, we're, that we're excited to have. Mm-hmm. And you can speak kind of uniquely as a UChicago, a Several time you Chicago graduate. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. The fact that this is you know happening at the University of Chicago with several University of Chicago professors and lecturers on the agenda. What do you think that the U Chicago environment has to offer in particular? Well, I think of I mean the University of Chicago environment is one which really gave me the foundation for everything that I've that I've done with the rest of my life, and so. Um, you know, both in terms of this, it's it's such a strong community. I found the relationships that I made at University of Chicago have literally led to every single job in some way that I've ever had. But and also in the work ethic, the culture of the school, and the mentorship that the professors and others associate with the school and now our peers are able to lend to us. And so I think it's just a great forum to discuss these kind of issues. The University of Chicago is such a strong community when I was there and remains incredibly strong today. I try to do anything that I can with the school when given the opportunity. And so, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to the event as a, as a place where I'm going to meet a lot of really amazing cool women who are doing great things trying to change the world. And so I'm also looking at this event as something that, that I hope to gain a lot from from the experience as well. And what do you think that you'll be able to bring mm-hmm. to the table? 
Well, I hope having worked in the federal government and now working in the private sector, I hope I can speak to uh, you know, a woman's experience and um, a former U Chicago student's experience to life in the real world. I think whether it's federal government, whether it's state or local government, whatever, any kind of public service, I think you're going to have similar wonderful, amazing opportunities and probably run into some similar obstacles as well. And so I'll hopefully be able to speak to some of those. I hope to be able to meet amazing women who are interested in going into public service, not sure exactly what their next step should be. I'm happy to provide any advice based on my own experience. And, you know, I've, I've found it takes... It takes luck as well as a whole lot of hard work. Um, <laughs> you have to put yourself in a position to be lucky um, to to get to get to your dream job. And so, you know, I feel like I've had some really uh, very unique experiences that I can hope, hopefully, I'll, you know, shine a little bit of light just on my own experience and and how I handled it and how I got there. Mm-hmm. One of the things that stands out in your experience is you've been a very vocal advocate and in fact the creator of the term pollination <laughs> um which is which is i think a very relevant concept to this you know yep. um, innovating in policy you need different perspectives and how would you sort of talk to women about pollination and their unique role about what they can can bring to that arena well, I'm a strong believer that policymakers need to promote innovation, and that is what I tried to do when I worked in the White House and when I worked at the Department of Justice. As the chief counselor for the Open Government Partnership, for example, my job was to really bring our federal government into the 21st century. Open data, open innovation, work with our innovation officers at every agency to really open up our government in ways that focus on um, promoting emerging technologies, but in a way that wins the public's trust. And my experience has been, you know, absolutely policymakers need to promote innovation, but it's critically important and just as important for innovators to work hand in hand with policymakers. In the world of domestic drones, commercial drones, you know, we've been flying drones like model aircraft for many years, um, but we have not Ever, we don't have any data on what it's like to, for a sustained, consistent commercial flight of small unmanned aircraft here in our country. And so it is challenging for policymakers simply because we just don't have a lot of scientific data that's out there that's currently mm-hmm. available. Generally, if you're regulating or policymaking, you're doing it based on something. And so this is where something, you know, this is why it, it is so important that the industry has diverse set of viewpoints, diverse set of life experiences, a diverse set of folks kind of thinking together to really move the industry forward. And that's where I truly hope and anticipate that with this emerging marketplace, we are going to see a lot of women that desire to come into this new industry. And I think that the industry will be very well off for it. Right. I mean, I've met some incredible women in the industry and that are real trailblazers. And I'm hoping that with each new woman that that comes, they're also mentoring other women to get into the industry. And so um, this is really pollination in action, policymaking, promoting innovation, and innovators working hand-in-hand with policymakers. It applies in the domestic drone context, but it applies in every context. Mm -hmm. And where are other big opportunities for women's influence to grow, do you think? I really think that the sky is the limit. I think wherever we decide to focus our energy, 
um, we will grow in our influence. And so, you know, I think a lot of the opportunities over the next several years are going to be in new emerging technologies, everything from driverless cars to satellites and and UAS on manned aircraft systems. You know, and then I think it's just a great time generally to have a conversation reflecting on women in public service. Of course, we have a few women running for president right now. You know, what are the issues that they're ha- they're dealing with on the campaign trail? I think it's a great time to have um, to have this kind of conversation more generally as well. We, we need to continue at the highest levels of government, at local and state government, to increase our representation of women in those capacities as well, um, to bring women's voices to the fore in any number of different industries where we we want a voice. Um, the, like I said, the research has really shown that businesses prosper when they have diversity at the top, and that includes having women's voices that are heard. And so, um, you know, I think that really the sky's the limit. It's more us using our imagination and deciding where we would like to be influential. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Jake. To hear more about our Women in Public Leadership program, just go to harris.uchicago.edu slash women. You can see our incredible list of speakers and answer any questions you might have. And if you sign up today, you'll be eligible for the 15% early bird discount. But that offer expires September 15th, so do not wait. Register today. This episode of Radio Harris was produced by me, Jake Smith. If you want to hear more of these down-to-earth interviews with policymakers and brilliant scholars, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. We'll be rolling out a fantastic brand new season in October, and you do not want to miss it. All right, thanks for listening.